Welcome back to Ryan's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Sometimes leadership means having formal authority, and other times it's not so clear-cut. In the military, you've gained skills and attributes that make you a great fit for leadership positions, but not every company is willing to take a chance by offering you that type of position without seeing how you work as part of a team first. Dave Lemkul, a regional manager with Orion, joins the show to discuss how you can lead even when you're not the boss. Dave will discuss five ways to add value and be seen as a leader, ultimately setting yourself up for success in any workplace environment. Dave will also discuss the similarities and differences between leadership in the military and in corporate America. If you have any questions about this show or if you have any ideas for a future topic, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Hi, Megan. How are you today? I'm good. I'm happy to be sharing the spotlight with you today. <laughs> always, always a pleasure to be on with you. Yeah, so as you know, we're going to be talking a little bit about leadership in the military and kind of how that can translate into the civilian world because a lot of veterans are looking to transition into a leadership based on the skills that they've acquired in the military. But not all civilian hiring managers are willing to hire someone without that same type of experience in corporate America. So we're going to talk about some of the ways that you can combat that and how to lead, even when you're not the boss. But before we dive into that, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I I spent nine years active duty. I was a field artillery officer uh, by trade. Uh, So I kind of bounced around, you know, from assignments in Korea to Fort Stewart to, you know, Fort Hood, uh, where I ultimately took command, you know, at Fort Hood. And I did a year of recruiting. For you know, like a lot of people, had a family, and it was time to make that decision. Um, and then, you know, through a little bit of of luck, I came into contact with Orion as a hiring conference as a candidate, and ended up, you know, down the road, ended up being part of the team. Luckily, uh, so I've been here for nine years now. I'm a partner in the organization, and I grew up in our. Austin, Texas office as an account executive on the sales side. And now for the past six years, I've been in you know, Raleigh, North Carolina at this office as the regional manager um, in charge of the Southeast. Awesome. So you yourself have kind of risen to the ranks of being in a leadership role. So I think you're the perfect person for this podcast. And, you know, like you, most other military members do have leadership qualities that they learned from their time in service. So what are some of the soft skills that you think veterans possess that can help them show that they're leadership material? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of the veterans and a lot of the people I talk to don't give themselves enough credit uh, when it comes to this because we all grow up in that same environment of a team and, and being adaptable. You know, but like me, I you know, I I went from, you know, the schoolhouse of learning about my trade of artillery over to Korea. Had no idea in terms of how to do the position. Hadn't really led a team before. Um, was brand new, you know, and quite honestly, a little bit scared. Um, and I had to adapt. I had to learn in terms of that unit. I had to, you know, figure out who's on my team. Um, and I kind of had to communicate, you know, with my team as well as lead them, which is sometimes a challenge, right? Um, you know, but I think throughout my career, I just learned that's part of the process. You you go to a different unit, you go to a different position every couple of years, and you have to learn the new team, 
new structure, uh, the new processes, and then and then figure out how to add value. You know, where do I come in? You know, what process can I improve? Uh, what team can I lead? What project can I take on? And I think it teaches you to do it, and you almost become second nature at it by the time you've been in the service. You know, three four years, it's almost second nature to you by then. Uh, but you know, looking back on my career in the military, I can really you know, look back on those times and go, yeah, that you know really helped me in terms of the of the rest of my career. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, they don't give themselves enough credit for it. And I think that is because, like you said, it becomes second nature. So when it's something that you feel like, oh, that's not a big deal because you're so used to it being that way, you don't realize that that's something that a lot of people actually lack is the adaptability and even the communication skills and teamwork that you have to learn from going from, you know, different location to location, changing jobs in the military. There are all these things that you learn and you acquire over your time in service that really do become second nature. Once you're getting out, I think maybe that's when you start to realize that it's unique. Um, but maybe, like you said, because it's something that you're so used to doing, it doesn't stand out as something that would set you apart. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, people don't like change, right? And then in the service, all, all we're going to do is change. It's going to be a, a position. It's going to be a unit. Um, you could be in the same unit, in the same position, but your boss changes. And now you got to figure out how to communicate with that person, which can be entirely different style-wise than your previous boss you know so Mm -hmm. between you changing and the people changing around you the position the unit you know it's a constantly changing environment and it just creates a place where you have to learn to adapt and if you've been successful in the military anybody who's successful in the military has learned to adapt has learned to communicate has learned to work as a team and you know that's what's special about it Mm-hmm. I agree. So, you know, as we've just recapped here, military candidates are obviously well equipped for leadership roles, whether it's in the military or in corporate America. But we all know, and this is kind of why companies like Orion exist, is that that doesn't always translate. So a hiring manager might not always think that because you led X amount of people in the military, maybe that doesn't mean that you could do the same thing in corporate America. Now, I think it does, but since you know, there can be that, you know, a little bit of, well, let's have you prove it first before. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought we could talk a little bit more about that. So I saw an article on Harvard Business Review, and I want to talk through that because I thought it was a really good article, and they list five ways that you can lead when you're not the boss. And I thought it was very relevant to our conversation because, you know, if you do get hired into a role and you just, you're eager to become a manager and be able to show those leadership skills that you worked on in the military, you don't have to be a manager to display those leadership qualities. And um, that's kind of what this list is alluding to. And so I want to go through the five things that are referenced on the Harvard Business Review list and then have you talk a little bit in more detail about each of them and, you know, how they correspond to the military, anything from your experience. So if that sounds good to you, we'll go ahead and get into that. Sounds great. Okay, so the first one on the list is establishing goals. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I looked at this article as well, you know, obviously in advance, and what struck me was how translatable this is, right? In in the military, you have a mission statement at whatever level, you know, it could be at you know, the highest level 
of a core or down to a squad, there's still a mission statement for that unit. And I think sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, you know, in terms of the civilian, you know, workplace and working on on teams, you know, even here out of Ryan, we find ourselves, you know, falling into this trap and have to go back. But you can establish goals in terms of your project or your team off the bat. And that equates directly to a mission statement in the military. And everybody in the military has had a mission statement. And they know how to write one, how to follow one, and how it defines the team. It's the same exact thing. And a lot of people in the civilian sector are not obviously trained in terms of the mindset of the military. And sometimes all it takes is one person raising their hand in the meeting and say, hey, before we start, you know, what's the goal of our team or this project? And all of a sudden, it's going to cause people to think. And it's going to you know, cause people to kind of say, okay, let's define that. And then once you have a good mission statement for a team, really the rest will follow because you now understand where you're going. And everybody on the team understands where you're going. And yet, if you're the person to raise your hand and say it, you're kind of looked at in a little different light, you know, maybe by your boss. Um, but it's a mm -hmm. good element to remember. Yeah, definitely. It's just don't be afraid to speak up. So in a case like that, a lot of times, like you said, it is easy to just jump right in and not even think about what you should be focused on, which is the overall mission. And so sometimes even bringing up something that seems like it should be simple, it does get everyone on the same page. And it just helps you. It helps you look like you are mission focused. And of course, that is one of the best leadership traits that anybody could have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so moving on to number two. This one is think systematically. And like you said, this list is very, um, it does relate very well to the military. And so I'm sure you'll have some examples on this one as well. Yeah, what struck me on this one was in mind, I'm going back a few years, but, but I think it's still the same. When you become trained on how to be a staff officer, meaning at, in the Army uh, battalion and above, and you're in charge of like writing an order for the commander to kind of look at and tweak and kind of set the guidance on a go forward. And one of the first things you're taught to do is to understand the facts and kind of, you know, what you know and what assumptions you're making and then how do we work to take those assumptions into facts. And in the military, it's very simple. It's how many people do I have? How much fuel do I have? How much ammo do I have? And then, you know, what's our timeline? And in business, it can be very much the same thing. You know, what's your timeline in terms of when your project's due to your vice president? You know, what's our budget in terms of this project? You know, how many people am I going to have as a resource in terms of getting this done? Um, you know, those sort of things are still in that facts and assumption basis. And when you lay out your facts and assumptions for any project, you now have a groundwork on what to you know, work towards, and then you can move forward in terms of a good direction, right? Um, but I still think the systems of what you use early on before you develop a plan is if you understand it, um, I think you get a better plan and a better product. So that's what came to my mind off the bat on this one. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. I think that, um... In corporate America, sometimes details can get lost amongst all of the meetings and calls and things like that. So if you 
really are going into it thinking what information, what necessary information do I need to know to create the rest of the course of action? Like you said, it's something that really relates back to the military, and that's where a military candidate can leverage the experience that they've had to really, I guess, show off those traits once they enter the corporate world. Yeah, 100%. And again, it's just asking the questions because you may not know the answers to what, you know, facts and assumptions are there, but asking the question and making people think is part of the process of being that leader, if you will, coming into an organization. Mm-hmm. Okay, so number three on this list is learn from experience while it's happening. Can you talk about that one in a little more detail? Yeah, this is a tougher one. Um, you know, in terms of the military, every plan should have kind of a path or a decision point, right? And you try and learn and adjust. And that's what they teach you, that good plans will have flexibility. And I think you know, and I'm as guilty as anybody on this one, is you kind of let your ego get in the way sometimes, you know, while in the civilian sector, and you still think you're right, you still think you're right, and then, oh, by the way, you're wrong, right? And I think it's important, you know, at at certain points in any project to have a decision point and step back and go, are we tracking in the right direction? And don't let your ego get in the way, you know, and be you know, humble enough and be transparent enough with your team to say, hey, you know what? I thought it was X, but I think Y. You know, what do you think? And and that's a sign of a good team and a good project in that at certain points, you make sure you're on the right path. And a lot of projects have this built in. Uh, they call it, you know, different titles and different meetings. But a lot of times you may have to present to your senior sponsor or to your director or whatever title is kind of sponsoring your project and say, here's where we're at. And they'll kind of do a guide on you on if you're on the right path, right? But sometimes that's real beneficial to do yourself as well or as a team and take a look at it. So I think this is an important one, right? You've done your mission statement. You've gathered some facts. You're tracking in terms of systematically now throughout the process, just take a step back and see if you're heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I really like this one. I think this one is that can be a little bit challenging for people because sometimes people get into a project and it's full steam ahead. They don't want to be taken off of it. They just want to get it done. But the thing is, if you approach it that way, that's not always a bad thing. Of course, obviously you want to be an efficient worker, but if it's a, say it's a big project and involves a lot of people, there's a lot of moving parts. So if you approach it that way, it's almost like you're getting tunnel vision and you just are looking forward. Sometimes you have to take a step back and say, is what I'm doing the most effective way to do it? Because depending on the length of the project, too, things could change. So maybe, like you said, what you thought in the beginning ends up not being your opinion on, you know, the reality of the situation now based on a certain change that took into effect or um, something else that you learned. So it's always something that if you can correct it when you're mid-course, it's easier than having to finish it and then go back because at that point you've lost time and productivity, money, all of that. Yeah, don't be scared to change. It's okay to change, you know, and mm-hmm. it's okay to kind of deviate a little bit if it's going to get you to the right end. You know, don't fall in love with your Absolutely. plan is kind of the catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Okay, so number four on the list is engage others. And we talked earlier about 
you know, how the, just the nature of the military, you are so ingrained with teamwork and that's really just a big part of everything that you do while on active duty. So I know that's another one here that really relates really well back to the military, but can you talk a little bit more in detail about this one? Yeah, sure. I mean, anytime you're involved with a team, either in the civilian sector or the military, every individual has strengths and weaknesses, right? Um, you know, for me, I am not the strongest at my administration. I'm not the strongest in terms of capturing the small details uh, that need to be captured. I, you know, call it a weakness if you want, but I know it's never going to be my, you know, go-to. Um, and I need somebody on my team to help me, you know, with that. And then likewise, you know, everybody on the team has a good strength, you know, has a strength they can utilize in the project. And it's important to, you know, capture that. Um, it's, it's, it's important for everybody to contribute you know, to the project. You may come into an organization out of the service and be in a midline, you know, management kind of role. And you may have some junior leaders underneath you. And part of being on that project is helping them develop as well. You know, so it also develops your team in terms of skills. And then, you know, ultimately, you know, that person who may be junior, may be leading a project that you're on, and you're helping them get ready for that as well. So I think it's important to engage everybody on the team. It makes people feel included. Um, and it really brings out the best in terms of your project, in terms of using everybody's skill set. Mm -hmm. I like the example that you gave about, you know, your own personal experience, not being someone who really gets wrapped up in the little details, because you do need people from all, you know, people that pay attention to the details, but then also people that have a big picture mindset, like it sounds like you do. Um, you need people like that to balance it out because both are very important, you know, like they both have a time and a place, they're both important, and even the best top performer that you have on your team they're not going to check every single box. Like they're going to be one or the other. And that's normal because that's just how people are wired. So knowing that as a, as a leader, knowing who has what strengths and weaknesses, like you said, is the best way to get the most out of each team member. Agree. Okay. So fifth and final on the list is provide feedback. Can you talk a little bit more about this one? Yeah. So I think this is a two-way street. And, you know, everybody says provide feedback and you're thinking of you to an individual, which is important. You know, I think good teams will be very honest with each other, you know, in terms of uh, the good and let's call it the improved, right? In terms of, hey, man, you did that great job, you know, on this aspect. Is there any way you could do X? And maybe that's a slight shift, and that's providing feedback, right? But I think there's a positive and a little bit of improvement. And then on the two-way street, it's an element for you, too, of asking for feedback, you know, from your team on how you're doing. And, you know, maybe you're the leader of the project, or maybe you're a team member on the project. Um, but asking for feedback on how you're doing is, is real important. You know, how can you get better? is by asking for feedback, you know, and, and like I said, really good teams and really good organizations are very honest in terms of, you know, in terms of this and you keep it professional, but it's very transparent on that, 
you know, you get better and you focus on what you can improve. And that way, the next project you do, the next event you do, you know, whatever it may be, as a group, we're kind of, you know, branching off into separate projects. Everybody's better for it. And I think that's important. Mm-hmm. And asking for feedback is key here, too, because, you know, if you're not, if you're not someone's boss, you obviously aren't going to keep giving them feedback and then not expecting anything in return because I don't think anyone wants to be managed by one of their peers. So you just have to make sure that it's a two-way street and that you're not being overbearing about it and you're making it just known that you want to help each other improve. And I think that's key. Absolutely. So as someone who's in a leadership position currently, you mentioned earlier in the show that you lead our Southeast or our Southeast account management team. So you are in charge of how many, how many individuals do you have that work? It fluctuates. It seems like, right. I think we're always growing, but we're up to Mm -hmm. uh, seven right now and soon to be eight. Awesome. So you have people that are looking up to you, looking to you for an example, and I'm sure, you know, taking notes on leadership, what they can learn, things like that. So what are some Mm -hmm. of the things that a veteran should avoid doing at his or her new workplace if they want to get promoted or even just if they want to show that they're a leader? What are some of the things that they absolutely should not do? Yeah. And, and here's what I would say to this, because I think this is really, this is where the two worlds are really separate in the military. You get promoted. And I think it's even in like what they say at a promotion ceremony, if I can, you remember is like in the future of what you're going to do in the future in terms of that responsibility and the civilian sector it's a little bit different um in terms of how they assign that responsibility a lot of times you will come in in a position and then take on additional responsibility before you get promoted and before you get a title maybe even before you get the pay rate and in the civilian sector, it's a little bit more of a show me that you can do it before I give that whole plate, if you will, of responsibility to you. And it's important to understand too, just like in the service, you know, when you come in, you're learning a whole new world, a whole new industry. And it's the same thing in terms of the civilian sector. You're coming in and you're learning the entire industry for the first time probably. And you have to just understand the best thing you can do is just put your head down, be a sponge, volunteer for what you can volunteer for to get exposed to as much as you can. And don't worry about the title. Don't worry about the pay and and the promotion. It will come, I promise you. Just, you know, kind of focus on your own personal growth for the first couple of years. And then I promise you it'll come. Mm-hmm. So it's learning to maybe not have the clearly defined career progression, because I know that you hear that, I'm sure, a lot from even members of your team, but also just from working with our candidates at conferences and things like that. A lot of times they do really want to know what the career progression is going to be, and some companies are able to offer that, but most aren't. I think like what you said, it's really, it's not always cut and dry. A lot of times they want you to prove yourself before they're willing to give mm-hmm. you all of the responsibility. And so, you know, like we talked about before, a lot of the things on that Harvard Business Review list that we went through, 
they really closely aligned with the way things were in the military, but now you're in a different atmosphere. So you have to learn to kind of prove yourself, adapt, and like you said, just soak it all in, absorb it, and learn. Yeah, and the timing for promotion, it can be different. You know, I know in the military, I think for me, it was at the two-year mark into the day, you're going to get promoted. Well, and that's not the case, right, in business where a position may have to be opened up. Uh, there may be a new product line that's going to dictate, you know, your promotion. You know, so maybe it's three years. And then on the flip side, you know, maybe it's on the next promotion, it's nine months because business changed again and now you're ready and now you get a second promotion, right? You know, so there is no timeline, but I will say, you know, having been on this side of the fence in the civilian sector for long enough now and, and having dealt with a lot of clients and internal to Orion as well, it's just key, I think, just as you take on a new position, if it's your first position in the company, let's say you get promoted again or the first time, it's the same process all over again. Hey, don't worry about it. Just put your head down, learn that new role you know, soak in everything you can, volunteer where you can, and again, it will come. You know, people notice the people who are doing that, you know, versus kind of always jockeying for the title. You know, be a part of that team mm -hmm. first. Yeah, definitely. How do you think that the military prepared you to be a leader outside of the military? And, you know, we just talked about some of the differences, but if there are any other differences yeah. that come to mind for you personally, and then also some of the similarities, because we talked a little bit about those too. Yeah, I think the similarities, I mean, just kind of recapping is that you have to be a good communicator. And, you know, at least I always look at communication. A lot of people think of, you know, giving a speech or, or talking in front of a group as a project leader, you know, verbal communication. A lot of, you know, is written communication, you know, a simple email, can I communicate well that way? Can I draft a paper uh, for my team or my boss in terms of a project outline? You know, I mean, good writing skills are so valuable, um, but I learned that in the service, and I had, a, I had a few great mentors in the service who just stressed it to me early on, and it stayed with me, and I stress it to my teams now. Um, you know, I think the similarities of the communication skills have to be there, and I think work ethic. You know, we didn't really talk about it. I think I mentioned it a few times, but, you know, there are times when you're going to have to work late in your civilian sector, no different than you work late in the military. And, you know, once a month, I have a big project for my boss that's due, and I know I have to work late on it uh, to have a quality product. Um, but I think the work ethic that the military teaches you is just something that will translate very, very well. You know, in terms of the differences, um, I think the biggest one is in a civilian sector, you work in an area uh, that has a ton of titles and there is no exact, you know, rank structure in terms of who's in charge of who. Now, obviously there's an org structure to a point, uh, but it's a very, you know, fluid environment and a lot of companies are looking more of a matrix environment and you got to be comfortable working in that environment in terms of, you know, not having a clear defined work structure, uh, but really looking at who is the leader of this project on this day, and then kind of working through that. And you'll have your time to be a leader as well. So I think, you know, people from the service have to be comfortable with that transition. And sometimes that's the biggest transition to make is that 
mindset in terms of the organizations. Mm -hmm. But if you choose to leave the military, it's one that you have to be willing to, I guess, become accustomed to and be comfortable with because it's something you're going to face anywhere. Yes, 100%. And I mean, any organization is now in that mode. Outside the military, every organization is the same. And, you know, to a point, it may flex more, but every organization outside the military will have some sort of matrix to it that you have to be comfortable in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so last thing I want to ask you, if there are any books or any other resources that you would recommend to someone who would like to become a leader within their organization? You know, I read this book a while back, um, and I still refer to it sometimes, and it still holds true to me in terms of, like, getting things done and being a leader in the organization and being a manager of people as well as being a good follower. And it's called Execution, uh, the Discipline of Getting Things Done. And it's by Larry Bossidy and Ram Sharon. And I'm messing his name up a little bit. But Larry was a former chairman and CEO of Honeywell. And it just talks about, you know, kind of focusing on the critical things uh, within a team and a project. And then also how to lead and, and be a good team member as well. And I found it to be an easy read. Um, but also, you know, highlighting those key pages and kind of marking them to go back and just review once in a while. And I always take something of it, you know, from it. And it's on my bookshelf here in my office. Uh, but it's one of those books I'd recommend. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you very much for sharing your experience and insight with us. I'm sure that this will be very helpful because I think a lot of military candidates, when they transition into the corporate world, find themselves in this exact situation. So I appreciate your insight on it. And um, thank you again for joining. Thanks for having me anytime, Megan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.